It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. I can't begin to tell you how much I despise these tech bros who design our electronics. They always make things way too complicated. It drives me nuts. I know I've ranted about this before. I'll keep this really short. But now the latest thing on my iPhone is, you know, used to be the simplest thing. You wanted to set the alarm. You click on the clock, you find alarm, you set the time, and you hit a button and that's it, right? So I wanted to do that yesterday. And instead it took me to another vertical in which it invited me to set up, you know, what time I want to go to sleep and wake up every day, what the range should be. But I wasn't concerned with every day. I just wanted to set the alarm for that one day. And it just, it's like everything, there's never a button that says never. How's never working out for you? I don't ever want to do this. I just want to set the alarm once. Or this thing on Facebook where every time I try to post something now, it's, um, well... Do you want to send a message to all of your followers? Do you want to send them chocolates? No, I just want to post the thing so they can read it. All right, I promise to keep it short. You know, I've known Michael Beschloss a long time. He is a brilliant guy, historian, uh, written some terrific books. Very nice guy. And it's been kind of sad for me to watch him as he's become a more prominent voice on MSNBC from this spectacular room that got a 10 over 10 rating from Room Raider, which is the thing that started during the pandemic when everybody was, including me, was uh, guesting from their home offices or kitchens or basements or whatever. Um, And I actually once visited that room, and it's a very nice house, and it's a great room. But the more that he acts like a bit of a political hack, I just think it takes away from the reputation, the sterling reputation that he had. So, for example, over the weekend, uh, they're talking about Ron DeSantis. And first, Beschloss describes Trump, and that's when this all started during the Trump era, as having the survival abilities of a cockroach. Well, that's flattering. And then he goes after who he called Rick DeSantis. All right, we all, you know, blurred out name mistakes. And says the following. Look at what Rick DeSantis has done in Florida. He was known as a sort of a nondescript political leader, member of Congress. Suddenly, he has really tried to turn himself into a local Mussolini in Florida with the book banning and the brutal tactics. And even this week, the suggestion that bloggers have to register with the state for the honor of writing about the governor and other political leaders. This is fascism and authoritarianism. Okay, so first of all, this stupid, moronic, insane, as even uh, Newt Gingrich called it, bloggers have to register with the state bill if they're going to write about the governor and members of the legislature, was not endorsed by DeSantis. And a couple days later, he was asked by reporters, he says, no, I don't support that. All right, so he made that assumption. Anything that goes on in Florida, everybody says, well, it must be DeSantis, right? But why would you go the Mussolini route? Why would you feel the need to criticize the policies? I don't care. To compare a governor who was just 
reelected in a landslide, which is called democracy, to a brutal World War II dictator. I, I just don't understand it. And separately, now I'm going to switch to things that can be attributed to Ron DeSantis. Florida Republicans introducing bills yesterday uh, that would further restrict abortion. Now, one of the things I talked about last year was how Ron DeSantis had pushed through and signed a 15-week limit on legal abortion. And what I said was that seemed outrageous at one point to people who are pro-choice. But today, given the overturning of Roe, it would seem maybe almost like a compromise. And I thought that was part of the secret to DeSantis's popularity, which is when it comes to the people of his very large state, he doesn't, you know, he fights the culture wars, he fights Disney, but he doesn't push things too far when it comes to how the average person would be affected. However, now the new legislation introduced in both houses would further restrict abortion to six weeks, which is about as stringent as proposal as there is anywhere in the country. And DeSantis says um, they would also have, because it's such a tight time frame, exceptions for, you know, rape, incest, life of the mother. I think those exceptions are sensible. DeSantis told reporters, we welcome pro-life legislation. So he's going to get behind this. Uh, And then the problem is, even in Florida, 64% of Sunshine State residents think abortion should be legal in most cases. So he risks pissing off a majority of his constituents. And on the other hand, that probably helps him um, in a presidential primary with very conservative Republicans who turn out. But let's say Ron DeSantis ends up winning the nomination. Then is that an albatross that he wants to restrict abortion to six weeks among a general electorate. So these are the kinds of political decisions and maneuvering that you have to make. I don't want to make you all uh, reach for the stop button because budget stories are so boring, but let me just briefly say that with President Biden releasing his budget tomorrow with the $400,000-plus tax increases, if you make over that amount of money, and trying to put Medicare on a more solvent footing, House Republicans, who have basically kind of put themselves in a situation where they say they're not going to touch entitlements because it is fairly or unfairly political suicide. So Medicare and Social Security off the table. So now it's being reported that they're trying to go after some smaller programs because they promised voters they would slash government spending. So we're talking about cuts to health care, food assistance, housing for poor Americans, uh, foreign aid, and privately, what they're saying is, you know, how do we even get 218 votes for this? Because more moderate Republicans running for election next year will be saddled with, you know, the cuts in these programs that not everyone's going to agree with. You're talking about pain. It's always easier to give government benefits than to take them away. And it will lead to a lot of media coverage about uh, the people who will be hurt. 
And that's a debate that will play out over many months. All right, let me get to the story everyone's talking about today. Story number one. It is, of course, the footage that aired on Fox News of the January 6th riot from the 40,000 hours of videotape that Speaker Kevin McCarthy provided to Tucker Carlson. I want to lead off with two things that Donald Trump said, just because, you know, I don't shock easily, but on the second one, I almost fell off my chair. Just, I'm sort of doing it backwards because then I'll get to the mainstream coverage and so forth. Trump, congratulations to Tucker Carlson on one of the biggest scoops as a reporter in U.S. history. Uh, This footage, he says, sheds an entirely different light on what actually happened. The unselect committee was a giant scam. There's a lot of all caps here, by the way. Uh, and has now unequivocally been stamped as criminal fabricators of this most important day. Pelosi and McConnell failed on security. The police story is sad and difficult to watch. Trump, he puts his own name in quotes, and most others are totally innocent. Let them go free now. Great coverage by McCarthy. Here's number two from the former president. He said that Members of the House January 6th Committee should be tried for treason. That they were the ones lying to viewers, lying to the public. First of all, legally speaking, this is the most boring part of the answer, members of Congress, like the president, are protected from lawsuits for the performance of their official duties. And what's more official than having a committee do an investigation and so on. So the notion that you could bring criminal treason charges against lawmakers who are trying to get to the bottom what happened on January 6, 2021, is so far out there that I wouldn't even think that Trump would go there. I know he wants everybody who's been charged criminally to be freed. And we'll get more into the charges in in a couple moments. Uh, But let's just say that emotions are running very high over this. So here's how Brett Baer's program, Special Report, handled it last night with veteran congressional correspondent Chad Pergram, one of these guys who's just an old-fashioned, wearing out the shoe leather day after day, on Capitol Hill. He pointed out in his news report that while some people at the Capitol did not engage in violence, which we all knew, I mean, you know, as in any um, violent outbreak, whether it's a riot on the streets of Seattle or Portland, or whether it's a riot under the dome of the United States Capitol, not everybody is committing violence or beating people up, but if enough of them are, then we refer to it as a riot, leaving aside the debate over insurrection. So um, what Pergram reported is that many Republicans were also very unhappy um, with this segment that aired on Tucker Carlson tonight. It was an attack on the Capitol, said Republican Senator John Thune. To somehow put that in the same category as a permitted peaceful protest is just a lie, said Republican Senator Kevin Kramer. Minority Leader Mitch McConnell 
said it was a mistake in my view for Fox News to depict this in a way that's completely at variance with what our chief law enforcement official here at the Capitol thinks. Um, I'll get to that in a second. Now, look, some of these people are perhaps exaggerating what was actually on Tucker's show. But I want to give you all sides because you would expect the Democrats to do it. I mean, Chuck Schumer has just been blowing his top over this. Um, The report also showed the late Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick, who died of a blood clot one day after the riot. Um, So apparently looked okay, but wasn't. And you'd have to say, had there been no riot, Brian Sicknick would still be alive. And then program pointing out that 140 Capitol Police officers were assaulted during the attack. 106 people were charged with using a deadly weapon. And Brett Baer wrapped uh, that part of the segment by saying the network does not condone violence. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Let's move on to number two and take a, a different view of it. The lead of the New York Times piece is Republicans on Capitol Hill split Tuesday over this segment. Remember that it was Kevin McCarthy who about two weeks ago decided to give Tucker Carlson an exclusive. And his producers have been working on looking at all this footage. And it's fascinating to me that there are two different viewpoints. Remember, this is not some, how shall I put it, um, bloodless investigation of something that happened somewhere else. Every single member of Congress who happened to be present in the Capitol that day, January 6th, saw firsthand what happened. Many fled. Many feared for their lives. Uh, that same thing goes for staff, journalists, anybody else who was there when the mob broke through the barricades, smashed um, windows in some cases, to gain access to the Capitol. So the rift, as the Times describes it, is between those who want to move on from January 6th because it's a political liability, and I get them not wanting to debate it through 2024, and those who want to relitigate it publicly to feed the anger of the party's hard right base, which continues to revere Trump and believe the stolen election claims that he continues to make. So, the Capitol Police Chief, Thomas Manger, sent a letter to his troops saying, last night an opinion program aired commentary that was filled with offensive and misleading conclusions about the January 6th attack. The program conveniently cherry-picked from the calmer moments of our 41,000 hours of video, failed to provide context, and so forth. And it was McConnell who held up the letter and said, you know, I agree with everything the chief said. Meanwhile, the Justice Department put out its latest data. I'm sure this is not a coincidence. More than 999 defendants have been arrested 
in connection with January 6th in nearly all 50 states and D.C., including 326 defendants who've been charged with assaulting, resisting, or impeding officers or employees. Those include approximately 106 individuals who have been charged with using a deadly or dangerous weapon or causing serious bodily injury to an officer, this according to DOJ. But House Republicans, not just McCarthy, were cheering on uh, the way that Tucker Carlson handled this. I'm trying to give you all sides here. I read to you um, yesterday what he said on um, his program. So here's Elise Stefanik. She's the number three Republican in the House. Last night, Tucker Carlson confirmed what I've been saying for well over a year. Nancy Pelosi's sham unconstitutional January 6th committee was nothing more than a political witch hunt designed to punish the radical far left's political opponents. Um, McCarthy was asked about this. He said he hadn't seen the segment, but he wanted transparency. Remember that Kevin McCarthy has also said he would be putting this out to the general media. I don't know if that's today or in a few days or whatever. Republican Senator Mike Rounds of South Dakota took a different view. I was here. I saw what happened. I saw the violence. And you know, I thought it was an insurrection at that time. I still think it was an insurrection today. And Chuck Schumer, you know, calling on Fox not to do any more of this. So it's, regardless of where you come down on the way the footage was handled, the way the footage was presented, whether it was a riot, whether it was an insurrection, whether it was just, you know, a relatively small number of hooligans, although, as I say, a lot of people have been charged, a lot of people have pled guilty or been convicted in connection with that just a day that was such a stain on our democracy. Um, There's a lot of politics playing out here. And you see it most clearly in the split between Republican House members and Republican senators. But not all. I mean, Mitt Romney completely went off on it. So it just is sort of a reminder of not just the tragedy of that day where we're all sat transfixed. And as I mentioned yesterday, it could have turned out so much worse, so much worse if a couple of wrong turns hadn't been taken, if the mob had ever gotten to Mike Pence. And so it's, it's like 9-11 in this sense, and I'm not comparing the magnitude of it. You know, that was a tragedy on a whole different scale. But it still has this power over us. Two very different, because one is a foreign enemy, and the other were Americans who were angry about what they thought was Donald Trump having the election illegally taken away from him and Joe Biden becoming president. But there's just so much bottled emotion from those two days that you're seeing that play out now with the way this footage has been handled. I'm wondering now when the footage is more widely available to the media, will there be counter pieces that said, oh, look, look how terrible this was. I mean, certainly the January 6th committee played some of the more harrowing footage of the mob storming the Capitol. And so this story isn't over by a long shot. Number three, Chris Saliza, formerly with CNN, formerly with the Washington Post, now 
has his own uh, substack called So What, which he does uh, write a lot of writing and video. And he is pivoting off the uh, decision by former Maryland Governor Larry Hogan not to run for president, deciding that would just make it easier for Donald Trump to win the nomination. And the real reason, says Saliza, is there is simply no lane for a candidate running expressly against Trump and his attempts to transform the Republican Party. And as I was talking, and my column yesterday was about, you know, how Nikki Haley and Mike Pompeo and Mike Pence um, and Ron DeSantis sort of sidestep any direct attacks or direct engagement with Trump. You know, they take a lot of veiled shots but they're not really going after Trump the way you ordinarily would if you're going to try to win the nomination and beat the frontrunner because they don't want to be seen by his extremely loyal base as being on the other side. They need those votes eventually. They may not get a lot of them in the primaries, but if whoever wins the nomination, if it's someone other than Trump, We'll need that base to come back to have a hope of winning the general election. So uh, here's Saliza throwing out some poll numbers. Um, In a couple of recent national polls, Trump took 42% of the vote. Hogan took 0%. In another one, Trump took 43%. Hogan had 1%. Not picking on Hogan, he says. Chris Christie former New Jersey governor who is running pretty hard at Donald. 0% in the Quinnipiac poll, 1% in the Reuters poll. Former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson, who's strongly considering a run. 0% in the Q poll, not included in the Reuters poll. New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu, who's been very uh, aggressive toward Trump and contemplating a run himself, and certainly saying that Trump can be beaten in New Hampshire. 0% in the Q poll, 0.5% in the Reuters poll. So yeah, the four most prominent anti-Trump voices in the Republican Party took a combined 0% of the vote in the Quinnipiac poll. A combined 0%. Which is to say there is zero demonstrated appetite, and of course it's early, for a candidate who's expressly running to reverse Trumpism. You know, the supposed secret sauce is, well, um, I like a lot of things Donald Trump did, but I don't have the baggage, and I'll uphold the banner of Trumpism, but without all the crazy stuff. Um, And in a related piece, which is looking at Trump, you know, winning the CPAC straw poll and saying, I am your warrior, I am your justice, And for those who have been wronged and betrayed, I am your retribution. Um, This piece in the New York Times by Maggie Haberman and others says, hey, this is something. Here's the former president of the United States talking openly about leveraging the power of the presidency for political reprisals. Um, The notion that Trump supporters could be spurred to violence is no longer hypothetical, says this piece as it was in 2016 when Trump uh, once urged a rally audience to knock the crap out of hecklers. Um, Because we've already been through January 6th. Spokesman for Trump 
says the speech was a call to political action to defeat the Democrats who put their collective boot on the throats of Americans. Anyone who thinks otherwise is either being disingenuous or is outright lying because they know President Trump continues to be a threat to the political establishment. I certainly don't disagree with the fact that he's a threat to the political establishment, although it's hard to think of a former president as not being the political establishment. But John Bolton, who, of course, ended on very bad terms after serving as Donald Trump's national security advisor and got into this huge spat about whether his book could be published and so on, um, said a couple days ago, I think he's talking about retribution. He would exact on people who would cross him, former UN ambassador. Uh, It would be first and foremost getting back at the people he thinks deserve some kind of punishment for not doing what he tells them to do. And it's a big group of people. Um, Trump has also said, he also said in this speech um, at CPAC, essentially, you know, it's win or lose. If we lose, we no longer have a country. So Bolton picks up on that and says, I think it's also a signal that he's not going to accept a second defeat, the same way he didn't accept the first defeat. Mick Mulvaney, former acting White House chief of staff under Trump, quoted as saying, it's a great line for his hardcore supporters, but he just lost another two points with suburban women in the Midwest. And that's always been the case with Trump, which is his base fervently adores him. But women, independents in non-ruby-red you know, states um, are turned off by all of the name-calling, by the threats, by the, um, the constant chaos, the investigations. And this part, I think, I feel safe in saying came from Maggie in the piece because she covered Donald Trump for years as a reporter for the New York Post and the uh, New York Daily News. And a lot of this is in her book that Trump for decades has played the role of victim, vowed vengeance on those who cross him beginning in 1973 with the first Justice Department investigation into what it said were his family businesses racially discriminatory housing practices, a case he eventually settled. He cried foul in August when the FBI searched Mar-a-Lago for classified documents. He has railed against the state investigations in both New York and Georgia, denouncing the prosecutors in both states who are black as racist for looking into him. Okay, so he was on the radio a few weeks ago with conservative Hugh Hewitt, who asked Trump directly, would you use the power of the presidency to punish people who punished you? No, I wouldn't do that, Trump said. I would be entitled to a revenge tour if you want to know the truth, but I wouldn't do that. Okay, let's move on to number four. This is a piece in The Federalist that I mostly agree with because it's about one of the issues that's most important to me, and that is double standard, hypocrisy. I mean, I talk about this and write about this all the time when it comes to the media, when it comes to the political world. So Ron DeSantis, as you probably know, had been over the last year at war with Disney because Disney pissed off the governor uh, when it started lobbying against a parental rights bill in Florida um, that would prohibit public school teachers from discussing sex, 
sexual orientation or gender identity with kids in kindergarten through third grade, which, by the way, it often gets shorthanded as don't say gay, but, you know, through third grade. I mean, those are pretty young kids. So the governor got the legislature to take away uh, the special district status that Disney enjoyed. It didn't have to pay taxes. It was a pretty sweet deal because, you know, it was a major tourist attraction in Orlando that really helped the state. Um, Passed both houses. DeSantis signed it. Disney was beaten. And here you have Ron DeSantis now, through his appointees, in control of over 25,000 acres surrounding its theme park, and he creates a new tax district. So um, you got columnists like Jonathan Chait saying the threat alone was what post-Trump authoritarianism looks like. MSNBC's Jahan Jones saying this shows the GOP has gone full authoritarian. Except, as the Federalist points out, the bill passed the legislature and was signed by the governor, so that's not exactly authoritarian. Uh, But the piece says the notion of democracy is highly malleable these days. So, I'm not really fond of government going after corporations for their political stances. So that's why what DeSantis has done with Disney has made me uncomfortable. And we see this play out with uh, Hobby Lobby and Chick-fil-A and others. Okay, but now let's look at a different government versus a corporation example that just happened or is in the process of happening. California Governor Gavin Newsom Uh, reacting very strongly to Walgreens, the uh, pharmacy chain, saying it would not sell the abortion pill in 20 red states that have laws curbing abortion. And Governor Newsom says, uh, you know, California will no longer do business with the Walgreens chain because it cowers to the extremists and puts women's lives at risk. Now, Walgreens is not opposing any California law. What Walgreens is doing, agree or disagree, is saying we're not going to sell this abortion pill in other states that we haven't sold them in before. It is not doing so, in the opinion of the Federalist author, for moral reasons, it's trying to avoid legal conflict. Many Democrats celebrating Newsom, saying, wow, this is great. He's liberal, he's pro-choice, he's taking on Walgreens. Do you see a problem there? Do you see the way, if you agree with what a company is doing, what a governor is doing, you stand up and applaud? If you disagree with what a company is doing, what a governor is doing, then you boo and hiss? And it's, you know, of course, they're not exact comparison, but in both cases, one gets mostly good press, one gets mostly bad press, and that is the double standard that makes so many people feel like the media have an agenda, have an axe to grind, and are not giving you the straight reports, as opposed to putting their thumb or maybe all 10 fingers on the scale. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Let's wrap up with number five, Chris Rock doing that live special. Finally, what is it now? Almost a year later, uh, slapping back as many 
writers couldn't resist saying, um, at Will Smith. So for months and months, Rock has been doing shows and he's been telling people, okay, I'm not going to talk about this. I'm not going to talk about this. Um, And finally, in the last few minutes of this uh, Netflix special, he does talk about it. It begins with how much bigger and stronger Smith is. uh, And then went into the bizarre interviews that Will Smith and his wife, Jada Pinkett Smith, and as soon as Will saw that Jada was not laughing at the joke, that's when he ran up and slapped him at that outrageous moment, for which he's apologized many times, but still, um, did about their relationship years before uh, Will Smith won the Oscar. Uh, they, he says, she hurt him way more than he hurt me, talking about Jada Pinkett Smith admitting to a sexual relationship with another man. Everybody in the world called him a bitch. Everybody. And who he hit? Me. And then there's some cursing involved. Um, I got parents. So, so then he was, he was asking himself the question, why didn't you fight back? Because I got parents. And you know what my parents taught me? Don't fight in front of white people. And he dropped the mic. Um, what the Atlantic says is uh, Rock's anger about the incident was especially palpable because he was speaking live. So he, like, he kind of fumbled one joke about the Smith movie, Emancipation, named the wrong movie, and he just had to do it again. I mean, ordinarily, you know, in this, a tape special, you would just edit that out. The last 10 minutes, he accuses Will Smith of selective outrage. It felt like an uh, organic, angry rant. It was all the more powerful for its departure from Rock's usual mode. But then... The magazine points out, it's tough to remain an incisive commentator on regular life. He was not a big fan of the rest of the special. When you are a globally renowned multimillionaire, as live television, it was intermittently interesting, then briefly compelling. As comedy, it will be a minor entry in Rock's uh, catalog. But it indulged Rock's raging id, which is probably the best way to handle the slap, even if the special accomplished little else. I would just add one thing. By waiting almost a year, what Chris Rock did was he waited until he could merchandise that moment when he could was selling something. He wants people to watch his special. If he had just gone out and done some interviews, it's not a question of money. The guy's, you know, fabulously wealthy. Then, first of all, he's playing on someone else's turf. He can't control the message. But more importantly, you know, what's he getting out of it? He's on defense. Here he gets to go on offense, and he gets to use the slap, which is now the back in 2022 slap, to promote his special. And so he's no dummy. Hey, thanks a lot for being along for the ride today, as we uh, range pretty widely. Uh, always enjoy having the pleasure of talking to you and not having to, you know, hit a commercial break at a certain time. It's liberating. It's freedom. And we'll do more of this tomorrow with more BuzzMeter. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts and via Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.